Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast, Trail Talk Edition. I am enjoying a beautiful day at a Sony State Park in South Carolina. It's about 70 degrees out, and it's so much different than the weather I had yesterday as I flew from New York with my jacket on to Charlotte, North Carolina. I am going to be flying out of Monroe, Louisiana on Saturday, and uh, in this whole period of time, I have six different interviews I'm doing for the 1607 project. And so it's a pretty grueling schedule, except for today. Today's the one day I had a little bit of time, and so I decided to go on a hike, which I'm enjoying. And I also decided to stop off at a local uh, university. And uh, I guess people can probably figure it out. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say what university, but you could probably figure it out based on what I already said, <laughs> where I am. Um, I ended up, uh, going there to just get some really quick B-roll because they have uh, some good examples of some federal period architecture. And I thought, well, that might go with the 1607 project. And um, while I was there, I noticed a sign that two students had set up at a table and it said, Believers for Racial Unity. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to say? You wanted to challenge something that was wrong. So in this case, social justice. But what do you say? How do you challenge it? Uh, Where do you even start? And I'm not, you know, even though I've written books on this, I'm not immune from that. I still have those thoughts. Uh, I don't want to go lecture someone. I don't want to push them, you know, so far in the opposite direction because I'm aggressive. I don't want to, and, and of course, no one's perfect, but Um, I don't want to stay silent either when I have an opportunity. And I thought this is an opportunity. So what did I do? So here's um, hopefully something that will be instructive. I went up to them and uh, the young lady who was there, very nice, offered me a Jolly Rancher. Maybe my one mistake is I shouldn't have had a Jolly Rancher as I'm trying to talk to them because your mouth turns into a black hole. But uh, other than that, uh, especially the sour green one I think I got, um, I started off just by asking her about their club. And I said, I'm not a student, but I am a Christian. So she knows they can't recruit me, but um, they they know I'm interested in what they're doing. I said, I'm a Christian. I'm just curious about what you guys are about. And she said, well, we're about um, racial unity on campus and helping people to have diverse experiences with other people. And that's just a good thing, right? So it's very general. And I said, Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and I, um, I looked them up, uh, after I first saw them and they are woke, they are more social justice minded. Uh, they buy into the police brutality narrative. They uh, buy into standpoint theory, uh, to some extent. And, uh, they, they are Christians though. They claim to be Christians at least. And so um, I suspected this though all along and I, what I, what I did was I weaved in a biblical understanding of unity between people, between uh, people even of different races. And I said, um, that's interesting. I had an experience in Virginia while I lived there. I went to a black church. So I, I thought... that it would be good to try to build some common ground. So I I reached in my file in my mind, what common ground can I use to build some trust? And 
that was the first one that came to my mind. I went to this black church and it was beautiful. And uh, it was, the person I was talking to was a young black lady. So she related to all of it and uh, was nodding along as I was telling her, you know, the songs were just, <laughs> they weren't off key <laughs> for one thing. Uh, they were beautiful, they were very emotive. Um, the sermon, I thought it was going to end and it, uh, the pastor kept acting like it was going to end, but it never really did. <laughs> And uh, you know, there's a lot of things that were just so different than my, the experience that I had had in other churches. And so I said, it was so beautiful. It was so wonderful. And I said, I had a unity though with them while I was there. I felt like I had unity, even though we were different. And she was nodding along, right? And so I said, you know, I would hate it if they stopped doing that. If, if uh, a lot of people like myself came in and wanted to change the church, I feel like that would be a really bad thing because I would want to preserve that culture. And she was nodding along. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's what we're about. We don't want to see anything destroyed. We want to preserve uh, culture. And I thought, good, good. She said that. So now I can let the other shoe drop. And the other shoe was, I said, I'm a a music guy at the church I currently attend, and we do a lot of these old hymns, I have heard that some people don't like that, that they would prefer we do songs that aren't hymns because hymns are too white. And I'm not kidding. I've really heard this before. And I said, uh, I would hate if someone got rid of some really rich traditions and beautiful hymns that we have because it's not doesn't fit their cultural preference. And, and she, and that's kind of where I left it. Uh, but I, I made sure to let them know that I was in a church that was very diverse, racially speaking, and that we had unity. And, um, so I didn't have time to get into, in this conversation, uh, what true Christian unity is. I didn't have time to get into standpoint theory and Gnosticism and any of the other things that maybe would be good points to talk about. But I asked a question that elicited a response from her that she wanted to preserve culture. And it exposed an assumption of hers that unity meant um, in a Christian context that you had to be, uh, you had to be gleaning from others' experiences and um, somehow integration was, it was part of this. You had to worship in the same churches or, or be, you know, your friend group had to be diverse. That was what unity was. And I was presenting an alternative, a Christian unity. Um, now those things, um, can play into it to some extent. It's not like they contradict. Uh, and, and I'm saying best case scenario here, if I go to a diverse church, so I, you know, I don't think that there's any uh, contradiction there that that's against biblical unity. But the fact is I'm unified spiritually with someone who, uh, because I'm in Christ, who may go to the Chinese church down the road from me. I'm unified with them. Spiritually speaking, there's no division there between us. There's no conflict that needs to be adjudicated. And that's how, when I was looking at their literature later, that's how it's presented that racial strife in the United States is partially the result of Christians who fail to be diverse enough. And that diversity is going to bring the unity and it won't. That's the problem. So I didn't get to say all of that, but I was able to at least uh, present a hint of, uh, or at least let, let them know that there's a different way of 
looking at unity, spiritually speaking. And I was able to, um, and, and when I was walking away, it was just obvious to me uh, that they, that that was kind of a new thought, I think, or at least it intrigued them. What I had said about, I wouldn't want the hymns changed because they're white. Uh, they weren't necessarily nodding along as much with that, even though she had been nodding along uh, with my example of if someone wanted to go change a historically black church around. And I think because this whole movement is set up against Western civilization, against uh, white people, uh, against um, European culture, etc., cetera, uh, we have a mindset often, a default setting that uh, we must preserve any non-European culture. But if it's European, unless it's Ukraine right now, <laughs> but if it's European, um, then no, we, uh, Europe, that's the problem. That's the culture that needs to be deplatformed and um, we need to, to do something about that, right? So uh, to be able to at least let the thought enter someone's head that this can work both ways, I thought was really important and good. And, um, and I, I felt good about the conversation. Now, what will that do with them? I don't know. I don't know where that will lead, but the whole thing only took about four or five minutes. It's a very short conversation, but um, I left them with something to think about. And my encouragement to you is to go and do the same thing. Don't be intimidated. Now, if it's violence, you know, you're so, if it's Antifa, you know, maybe be a little intimidated. But if, if it's someone that's pushing for social justice and you think, ah, it's not worth the hassle, it's not worth the, it's going to take too much time, or it doesn't have to take much time. It depends how you approach it. <clears throat> One of the things I've observed quite a bit, especially with um, parents and children in this, is parents often want to lecture their college students. They say, you know, they pay for this indoctrination camp they send their students to. Uh, their kids and then their kids come home for Thanksgiving and um, <clears throat> the parent wants to lecture them about how what they're learning is all wrong. I'm not saying that's all wrong because parents should instruct, but um, it's, I think, very important to come up with some good thought-provoking questions to help people think through things. Jesus often did this. He would often ask questions when he would have questions posed to him. And it's, it's just good to get into that way of thinking, to using... Um, trying to use the tools that Jesus used. And he sometimes would not give the full answers. He wouldn't refute everything. He would just give a little bit of food for thought. And so that's my food for thought for you today. I encourage you, uh, say something <laughs> if you see that. Now, one of the things I was gonna also share, and it just says way of, by way of the observation, in New York, things are much different. <laughs> you wouldn't see a sign on a college campus believers for racial unity, because as soon as it said believers, you would have the pro, the real hardcore protesters would come and protest them for being believers and bigots, right? So um, one of the things that it, it grieves my heart, it breaks my heart, is that um, I've seen the other side of this. I see what happens when social justice gains a foothold and what it does and how it destroys things, because I live in an area that uh, has is much farther down the pole on this topic. And the social justice warriors or the activists are not uh, claiming anything Christian related. Uh, they are uh, more associated with paganism. In fact, that's really big in my area. You go into our local Barnes and Noble 
you'll see books on, uh, actually all the books on the display case when you walk in are on witchcraft, crystals, Wicca. Um, that's just how it is. And it's, it, it goes along with social justice though. It really does. And so um, I wish that I could just ah, <laughs> help people in the South who don't have, um, who, who haven't seen where this leads and, and what it does to uh, sow seeds of social mistrust and how, uh, how it, it does not have a Christian origin and it does not have a Christian, or I should say foundation. It doesn't have a Christian foundation and it doesn't lead to Christianity to try to syncretize with this movement. But I get the impression that some very well-meaning people think that it's somehow incumbent on them as Christians to support these narratives, these social justice narratives, and that it'll gain them maybe credibility. It will, uh, it, it, it's the true consistent Christian thing to do. And the fact is, it's just not. And if you live in a place that is not influenced by Christianity, where, where these ideas have taken root in much deeper ways for much longer periods of time, you'll see exactly what I mean. And so you, you see the beginnings of it uh, in places like this. And um, it's just, uh, you know, that's my warning. That's my Paul Revere warning here that I just want to ride through town and be like, guys, the, the, the commies are coming or something. <laughs> and you're siding with them. Stop. But that's not what, it, what usually is the most effective. The most effective thing, I believe, uh, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, is to just ask some really good questions, especially of people that you don't know. Uh, in a genuine fashion, a good faith challenge, and that would be my encouragement for you. So I hope that uh, is helpful for those out there who maybe have been on the fence or not sure what to say about this issue, or you've had a rift with a friend over it. Um, just learn to ask good questions. You don't have to be the one to correct everything in one conversation. You just don't need that pressure on you. Well, uh, once again, thank you for those who uh, support me and what I'm doing. I'm excited this week to share some more with you. I will be uploading uh, portions of some of the interviews that I'm shooting so you can see what they look like. God bless, more coming. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.